Welcome back to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we are a baseball history podcast. That's right. On our bi-weekly baseball history podcast, the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be on the mound throwing them. That's right. And today, Edzie, mm-hmm. you're getting the start. That's right. I'm getting the start. And you are putting on the tools of ignorance today. I am. I and can't wait. Being behind the plate to uh, receive the story. Well, I'm excited. And there's some other exciting news as well before we get into Edzie's story. Yeah. So, Two Loons Brewing, uh, our favorite brewery uh, here in Toronto. You can find their IPA at LCBOs everywhere. But, exciting news, the day this launches, which is Wednesday, their lager is coming out and should be available at LCBOs and bars and hopefully everywhere around Ontario very, very soon. It's Wednesday, August 23rd, That's 2003. Right. 2023. <laughs> oh my yes, God. 2003. We've <laughs> gone back in time to drink more beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so check out twoloonsbrewing.com. Uh, it sounds like they're very close to having a brick and mortar location. Uh, grab their IPA, grab their lager. Uh, two great guys making beer. Uh, and there's a whole team there, actually. But you know what I mean. Anyways, twoloonsbrewing.com. <laughs> check it out. Yes, thank you very much to them. And uh, you can uh, also find us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter. We're still calling it Twitter. Yep. At Doing Baseball. And uh, on our Instagrams and TikTok, respectively, at Doing.Baseball. Yeah, that's right. I'm on Twitter at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm at Ed's Do Baseball. And yeah, give us a like, give us a rating, give us a review, however you're listening to us. And thanks for listening. Yes, thank you very much. All right, you ready, Edzy? I'm ready if you're ready. I am stoked, Okay, so well, wind up. Well, let's get into this. So, Sh- Sean, on uh, this podcast, we've often found ourselves sidetracked and distracted by some of the great names in baseball history. Sure. You know? It's, it's probably, I would say, in my humble summation, the game which has the most nicknames. Oh, absolutely. You think so? Oh. You would agree? Oh, yeah. It... it it's certainly the game with the most players throughout its history that have become known by their nicknames rather than the names given to them by their parents. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, that that's very true, especially for uh, some some stories we've done recently and some stories we're about to do. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll just keep prefacing this story by saying the most famous of these examples, I'm sure you and most people, baseball fan or not, would agree, is George Herman Ruth. Yeah, who's the babe? You know, yeah. There you go. Known affectionately as the babe. Do Do you have some favorite nicknames throughout history that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, I mean, I, you know, probably know a little more baseball history than most people. Okay. Um, You've read a lot. More. I've read a lot. I gotta say, Composy is is. Composy, <laughs> that is. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a nickname. It's no, more it's of a, a short form. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but in the context of you know what. <laughs> 
what that word means today. That's kind of a, yeah. That's a funny nickname. Yeah, who else is there? I mean, there's... Well, there's there's like some that stand out to me are like Catfish Hunter. Oh, like of course, goose, yeah. Goose Gossage, you know. Uh, I, vinegar Bend Mizell. Vinegar Bend Mizell. I've yeah. never heard that one before. Well, you might soon. I'm not saying where. <laughs> well, another one I was going to throw, there's there's Three Finger Brown. That's, oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Well, and, and there's, there's one... Oh God, I'm, I'm missing his name, but I'll, I'll think about it halfway through the show. It's just like he has a regular name, but it's not his name, and I'm trying to think of it. Same era as as Mordecai Three Finger Brown, but anyways. Okay, well, uh, Hippo Vaughn. Oh that my was God, one guy. <laughs> Hippo, <laughs> Hippo Vaughn. There's. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Here. Okay. Anyway, also saying that there was just an assortment of rubes. Let oh, me just mention that. Th- was... Hundreds of rubes. Yeah. Hundreds rubes. of rubes. So, no. so anyway, so some of these nicknames fly more under the radar. Yeah. And uh, they're like ones that are so common they don't even seem to be nicknames. And like, as Blue Jay fans, you know we can attest to that when we talk about uh, the. The play-by-play broadcaster John Albert Martinez, or as we know him, Buck. Of course, you know, and there's there's quite a few guys like that throughout there's baseball history. Buck Showalter. Yeah, there's one right there. Yeah, who uh, was known as Buck because he was fucking naked all the time in the seventies. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, that's a fun fact, Dad. So anyway, now I bring all this up, like the nicknames and the Blue Jays and the Babe, because in August of this year we saw the debut of a Jays prospect prospect that went so well people almost instantaneously began to refer to davis schneider as babe okay right so schneider was a 28th round pick 849th overall by the toronto club in the 2017 draft and made his big league debut at fenway park on august 4th 2023 it went well it did go well for those outside the realm of toronto sports and unfamiliar with the debut of davis schneider this is how well it went um, Babe Schneider, the young man, earned the nickname after a weekend series where in three games he went 9 for 13 with three runs scored and two home runs. Schneider tore the cover off the ball in his first three games, as I say, collecting the nine hits, which was tied for the most in a player's first three career games since the birth of the junior circuit, the American League, in 1901. Davis Schneider cemented himself into baseball into the baseball history books alongside one of the greatest names in baseball history, Coker Triplet. Oh, I I heard this. I heard this. Tri- I I had I did not look it up. I I never heard of the guy. But I I heard this obviously too, being a hey, Jays hey, fan. We, but, we were know. watching the same broadcast, probably. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but anyway, that that caused me to kind of look into <laughs> the the history of this guy. But anyway, uh, Coker was born Herman Coker Triplet, December eighteenth, nineteen eleven. Homer Coker Triplet. Herman. Oh, Herman Coker. That's an amazing yeah, name. Herman. So I, I was, I should mention now, I don't really write about it later, but when I looked it up, I assumed that Coker was a nickname. Of course. But I've actually learned that Coker was just his middle name that people eventually started calling him by Coker for some reason. That's <laughs> where a lot of nicknames, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, uh, that when, when you were asking me about nicknames, I was worried I was going to say 
a nickname that was actually a person's name. <laughs> so in this well, case, yeah. Coker. Yeah, when I started writing it, I was, you know, thinking uh, it was under a nickname, the assumption. under the assumption yeah. that it was a nickname, but in fact, it's just his actual name. But anyway, uh, carrying on. I wasn't able to gather any information on his early life other than the fact that he was born and raised in Boone, North Carolina, and that obviously he was a gifted athlete and he eventually grew to be five foot eleven, one hundred and eighty-five pounds. That was big for turn of the century, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's there's not much biography on Coker. I actually had to craft this story by combing through, you know, decades of newspaper articles that would feature him. So you know, this that is... that saber resource is amazing. Oh yeah, I can't say enough. Well, you're doing you're doing amazing i can't wait i'm doing it so, so what did you find so boone itself uh is a town in the blue ridge mountains of north carolina named for famous explorer and pioneer daniel boone this is not really about coker but anyway uh the town is home to appalachian state university which triplet attended as a young man okay so there we go he was a high scoring halfback for the football team and captain of the baseball team at the university playing the outfield and hitting some rope line drives now once again i don't have the exact dates on the timeline of triplet's early life but we could probably ballpark it that he begins to attend the university around 1929 or 30 so if he's born in 1911 he's about 18 that'd be yeah. you know about that time so it would make sense assuming that he played four years at the school before he got his first opportunity as a professional with the Nashville Vols of the Southern Association, which was the Class A Sally League, and this was in 1935. We first saw the appearance of Coker in a newspaper story January 11th, 1935, when the Vols were about to enter training camp at Tallahassee, Florida, and Triplett, along with five others, were to be sent down to Texas to the Class C Tyler Governors of the West Dixie League. <laughs> wow. Quote, six players have been farmed to the Tyler, Texas club of the West Dixie League where Wally Dashiell has shifted from Jacksonville as manager. The players are Jackie Reed and Earl Allen, pitchers, Bob Penford, catcher, Charlie Barron and George Shireen, infielders, and Coker Triplett, outfielder. The latter, a most promising youngster, will go to Tallahassee with the Vols regulars before moving to West Dixie. All right. So he's, he's a well-thought-of prospect and he gets to go to the big camp uh with the class a squad even though he's expected to be farmed to see ball yeah so it's like a yeah a, a, a yeah well-regarded prospect yeah let's bring you up see how you do kid and you know but you know you're starting at in this case sea ball which is you know probably equivalent to like single a or high a or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, once again, the Nashville Manor reported on March 3rd, 1935, that the Vols had assembled a rookie camp of 34 players, which was intended to be re reduced to half that by the time the regular players reported on March 17th. And Coker was among the outfield ranks alongside Paul Carpenter and Finley Banks. But as expected, he began the season with the Tyler Governors of the Class C West Dixie League. And... I mentioned as well that I couldn't find any press on it, but he may have actually been demoted even further to Class D, oh. according to his baseball reference page, because it actually shows that his 1935 club was the Class D Tallahassee Capitals okay. in the Georgia-Florida League. But anyway, nonetheless, that 
doesn't really matter. In 1935, he amassed 127 hits with 25 doubles, 11 triples, and three home runs in 401 plate appearances. Good for a 317 average and a 773 OPS. That's pretty good. It's not bad. Pretty good. No, no big power, but some extra no, bases. No, but I don't think a lot of guys had a yeah, lot of big yeah. power at this time. You know? well, well, I mean, it's, I mean, the, it's 30s. the 30s. Yeah, 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 what am I saying? There's yeah, Gehrig. There's yeah. Ruth. Like, yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. Will, you're right. or not Williams. Sorry, uh, the Greenberg. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it seems like he's a slap hitter, kind yeah. of. A slap line drive hitter, kind of, anyway. Uh, so he has a pretty good year. And I should also note before moving on that, once again, I wasn't able to dig up any in-depth press on this. But at some point, he must have also been either moved or dropped and signed by a team in the Class B Piedmont League. Okay. The, the team just the team was had a cool name. That's why I mentioned it. They were called the Portsmouth Truckers. That's fucking awesome. Of Portsmouth, Virginia. We're the truckers. Yeah. And uh, we know he was at least there briefly because of an article in the March 24th, 1936 edition of the Nashville Banner where... Bob Wilson was covering the fact that the hometown Vols were strengthening their ranks. And he said, quote, Nashville has added seven players in the race since the race opened. They are catcher Peacock from Cincinnati, pitchers Island from Boston Braves, Hughes, a free agent, and Ahern, infielders, infielder, Scott, and outfielder Coker Triplett from Portsmouth. It was... I just love his fucking name. Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell it is just Coker Triplett? It just stands out amongst it, everybody it else's, right? Like, absolutely does. <laughs> which, you know, that probably helped him get into the leagues at some point, you know, Ugh. to a certain extent. Yeah, just it, it just rolls off the tongue. Yes. Um, so this, it was just as Jimmy Hamilton, and you, you might know Jimmy Hamilton from your uh, All-American Girls okay. episode, because yeah. he... Uh, was the vice president and chief scout there? Sure. Um, anyway, he was a, he was a scout and predicted in the banner a month earlier that uh, he expected Coker Triplet Triplet to be a regular outfielder next year. Okay. And uh, Coker actually clinched his outfield spot because the first string Adam Komorowski had gotten ill and Coker got a chance to take his place. And from the Nashville Banner, May 10th, 1936, quote, Truer in baseball than any sport is the saying that it's an ill wind that blows nobody good. <laughs> I don't even know what they're trying to say. Listen, nobody gets blown good when there's yeah. a wind. Yeah. <laughs> or an ill wind. There's a bit of blowback when it's windy. I, are they saying that... that I like, like he's getting an opportunity because of misfortune. Like, I guess, I, but I, I really don't think that quote fits for this no, it situation. Doesn't. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. I hate reading these old newspaper <laughs> articles, and you're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, that's irrelevant. And then you have to like call your grandma. As the quote continues, had not Adam Komorowski of the Vols not been stricken with illness, young Coker Triplet. Never would have been recalled, but he got a chance, and now he now they can't get him out of the center field. He has shown himself worthy of the Southern League. All right, so he's he's conquered the South. Yes, he's getting some praise there in the newspaper. Yeah, so, but I mean, he's gone from like Texas to Tallahassee to now he's up in now he's in Nashville. Yeah, exactly. He gets a chance. In yeah, Nashville. so he's been all over the South, and now he's 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 he's, he's hit his peak for Southern baseball probably at this time. <laughs> Yes. So Coker, as we mentioned, has another great year, and this one was even better than the last. 
He finished the year getting into 97 games for 397 plate appearances. He goes 124 for 364 with 68 runs scored, 35 doubles and 3 triples, and took 33 walks against 25 strikeouts. Okay. His season was good for a 341 average, 395 on base percentage, and an 854 OPS. This is a little bit more pop. Yeah, so he's ticking up a bit. Yep. He was highly praised, as was the team. Freddie Russell wrote in the Nashville Banner on May 21st, 1936, quote, Yes, it is absolutely true that Nashville has a set of world's champions. We have contacted our agents in Manitouska, Singapore, Batavia, Addis Ababa, Cape Town, and Tokyo, and none has been able to question the city's claim. Do we have a title holder in Qua? Is it a Parcheesi champ? Possibly a marathon dancer? No, Nashville's world title is in baseball, and possibly I should have mentioned it sooner. However, I hope there will be other occasions to bring up the matter. Coker Triplett, Lance Richburg, Joe Dwyer, and Poco Tate form the hardest-hitting outfield combination on earth. No team in baseball owns such a powerhouse in the garden. This quartet has an average of 406, an unchallenged mark in majors, minors, college, or sandlot. Triplet at 471, Richburg at 421, Dwyer at 393, and Tate at 340. That's the array. If the season were just 8 or 10 days old, these slugging marks could be discredited. But the campaign is 6 weeks old, and the Vol outfield foursome keeps on rolling along. Of course, they will not end the season with such an average. They won't be as high as a month from now. But there are many who are saying that Nashville will end up with the slugging outfield in Southern League history. Okay. <laughs> wow. That was like a carnival barker. Dude, you... <laughs> that went... Play, I was trying to keep up. Like, first of all, wh- who Why? Did, who are they calling? Like, just be... Like, why don't you call, like, other teams, like, in the United <laughs> States and be like, hey, we're pretty good. But second of all, who's Popo Tate or Co- JoJo or Coco Tate? Poco Tate. Poco... Yeah, it, secondly... He's a veteran outfielder that's uh, batting 340. And secondly, this dude is, is, is going on this, like, speech because they're hitting 400 as a collective six weeks into the season? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and exciting. He, uh. And he wants more opportunities to bring up the matter. Well, <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, but this is, I mean, this, it's kind of hilarious just because it be like, where are the world champions? We called the whole world and yeah. no one has answered our call. It's like, dude. And I'm sure people believe that that was an actual thing. Yeah, not call Chicago. A, not just a literary device. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> call the Cubbies. Call the Cubs. I mean, call, call the Pirates. <laughs> call the Yankees. Like, come on. <laughs> so uh, later that year, Triplet in late J- June into July, he missed a couple weeks with an injured knee mm-hmm. or ankle, which slowed him down in the batting race. But once again, he has a great year. But the Vols had a number of good outfielders and were looking to shore up their defense. Okay. You know? And there was an outfielder in Memphis that the Vols management had coveted for a while. The Vols thought he was a little injury-prone, he being Coker. Uh, and perhaps they lost a little faith in Coker's fielding abilities when he dropped a line drive in a key playoff game against Birmingham in September. Ah. So maybe this is what that quote meant, that, like, you got your position from someone 
it's misfortune, no, no. and now you're no, that you're gonna lose back, it the same way. That quote was way before the defensive. <laughs> I class. know that. <laughs> so he drives. So he has a major error. Yes, they, and also gets hurt. And well, he was hurt in the middle of the season, and then has and an he keeps injury. having like some minor injuries here and there, and then has okay. this defensive lapse in the playoff game in September. And the Nashville Banner wrote in December 1936, quote, for the first two months, pitchers couldn't get him out. He was slugging above 400 and finished at 341, which I, I assume they mean batting because, like, yeah. slugging 400 is not very good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had, like, five singles and a double. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, uh that sounds, but that's still like, whoa, he was hitting 400, now he just hit four, 340. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's still doing great, but yeah. The, the point is he, he dropped off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the quote continues, late in the season, Triplett showed several defensive weaknesses and was not regarded as a major league prospect by scouts anymore. Oh, so, you, so it's possible that like maybe his defense is, is, is what... Is holding him back. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so due to these reasons, on December the 5th, 1936... My birthday. Yes, Coker was traded to the Memphis Chicks, along with fellow outfielder Poco Tate for outfielder... Yes! Wee Willie Duke. This is why you started with the nicknames. I get it now. I get it. Yes. I get it. (laughs) And once again, the Nashville Banner reported on that day, quote, Poco Tate, veteran vol outfielder for the past three seasons, and Coker Triplett, rookie gardener, who was the league's hitting sensation last spring, today were traded by the Nashville club to Memphis for outfielder Willie Duke. It was a straight two-for-one player deal with no cash involved. For several months, the Vols have been trying to land Duke, but the deal was not consummated until early today when Tom Watkins and Jimmy Hamilton reached an agreement in New York. Okay. I got to point out Gardner there. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I've said Gardner a couple times. We already. need to bring Gardner back. <laughs> yes, that, I think... And I'm not talking about Brett Gardner and his giant no, fucking no, head. No, no, fuck him. Outfielders should be known as Gardners. Mm-hmm. That's just what it I is. Agree. Go we're get do- in the garden. Yeah, we're doing it from now on. Okay, so uh, there you go. Hamilton gets his man in Duke mm-hmm. on back on the Vols after losing him as a rookie. Apparently, they they drafted him originally. Ah. And Watkins uh, gets his man in Coker that Hamilton had such high praise for prior to the nineteen thirty six season. So Coker and Tate are chicks now. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Chickasaws. Chickasaw. Yeah. So um, let's see. The, the trade does work out for both sides. Uh, Duke apparently like starts out kind of slow off the bat, but they were really after him for the defense. So, I mean, he's kind of an equal here. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. The yep. Associated Press on June 26, 1937, reported in the Knoxville News Sentinel, quote, Coker Triplett, who does a nifty job of ball hawking for the Memphis Chicks, Climax is a long fight this week to take over the leadership in the Southern Association race for individual batting honors. The change of scenery from Nashville to Memphis didn't affect the batting eye of this sturdy young man and has left no one here bemoaning the loss of Wee Willie Duke. (laughs) Fuck Wee Willie Duke. (laughs) (laughs) Side note, I actually just... Chickasaw is is actually the the indigenous people of the southeastern woodlands of the United States. I know, I know. How did you know that? Because I looked it up when I was doing this story. Well, why did you let me go Chickasaw? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Jesus Christ. 
I don't know. Continue. <laughs> so, uh... Coker is tearing it up in Memphis, and after returning to Nashville for a series in late July, the banner mentioned how Triplett had caught the attention of some major league scouts. And a few days later, on August 4th, it was confirmed in the Elizabethton Star by Tom T. Seiler that, quote, three major league clubs have asked Prezi Tom Watkins of Memphis for a price on his young outfielder, Coker Triplett, league-leading hitter. All right. And by the next day, August 5th, 1937, his services had been sold to the Chicago Cubs, and he would report to them at the end of the season. That all right? So he's he's going. He's going to the he's going to the Yankee Land, or like you know, in a colloquial term, <laughs> yes, yes. to play for the Cubs. Yes. <laughs> that is. He's leaving the South to go north. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it was a really fucked up uh, yeah. metaphor for yeah. a baseball podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so I'm not sure why his stats for the 1937 season are missing from his baseball reference page, but I did find it reported in the Knoxville in the Knoxville Journal on September 20th, 1937, that he finished with a 356 average, which led the league. Which, which league? The the uh, the national league? No, no, the <laughs> southern the southern the league. Southern league. He okay. finished the season. Yeah, down okay, there. okay. So he gets sold to the Cubs on and, August and, and, and fifth or like, whatever. Come to spring training yeah. next year, but yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So so uh, three fifty six led the league, and the Sporting News voted him fourth in MVP ranks for the Southern League. From there, or from the October twenty eighth edition of the Knoxville Journal. Quote, the Sporting News National Baseball Weekly published in St. Louis placed non-encamp first in their selections, giving him a perfect score of 64 points, a distinction seldom achieved. Only one other player in the league, outfielder Coker Triplett of Memphis, was named by every member of the committee. But the ratings he received ranged from second to last, giving him a total of 41 points, which put him three points behind John Humphreys, pitcher of New Orleans, who was third with 44, in seven selections. So dude is still hitting. Yeah. He's still getting a lot of praise, hitting quite well, getting the recognition. But also, just a quick aside, it should be noted, he also made the most errors of any outfielder. This guy fucking, like, DH, like, goddamn, he's like 40 years before <laughs> yeah, his yeah, time. That's right. <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah. So, but despite the defensive lapses, Coker Triplett entered camp in 1938 with the Cubs under much hype and fanfare. The Ogden Standard Examiner previewed the upcoming season in their January 13th edition and focused primarily on the league's new crop of stars. Among the ranks were sophomore players Joe DiMaggio of the Yankees and Joe Medwick of the Cardinals, but writer Jorks Kirksey also rained praise upon the upcoming rookies. Quote, And then there's the 1938 rookie crop to be heard from. The headliners in this group appear to be the Yankees' second baseman Joe Gordon from Newark, the Cardinals outfielder Enos Slaughter from Columbus. Ooh. The Reds catcher Willard Hirschberger from Newark. The Cubs outfielder Coker Triplett from Memphis. The Red Sox 19-year-old outfielder Ted Williams from San Diego. Never heard of him. And the Pirates outfielder Johnny Rizzo from Columbus. Oh, okay. So that's a pretty that's big... That's a pretty good crop. I know, that's a pretty big deal to be yeah. mentioned, even written about even, in the same sentence as Ted Williams. And, 100%. You know, in the same, I mean, he's not a rookie, but in the same article as Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. You know, uh, so Coker also drew praise from the Cubs manager, Charlie Grimm, quoted in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, 
February 13th, 1938. And I, I love the the language by Charlie Grimm yeah. here. Quote, they got to beat us again this year to win that old National League Gonfalon. Gonfalon? Gonfalon is a banner. I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to forget it right away. <laughs> National League Gonfalon. You know how I feel about predicting a pennant, but this year I've got a pretty strong hunch we'll be there at the finish. We've got some mighty promising youngsters in pitchers Kirby Higby and Al Epperly, infielders Steve Mesner and Bob Maddock, catcher Bob Garbark, and outfielders Herman Coker Triplett and Jimmy Asbell. I look for these boys to surprise a lot of the experts. Okay. So he's, uh, he's super excited there. Just aside, I don't, I don't eventually mention it, but they did make it. They did win the Gonfalon that year. They, they Gonfaloned it. Yeah. <laughs> it they was, gone for the Gonfalon. They, they, they got, got the gone for for long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carrying on. So a young Coker cracks the Cubs lineup. According to the newspapers at the time, it's apparent that he is expected to be a fourth or even a fifth outfielder. Okay, but I think Augie Gallon. Another great name. Yeah. Ended up getting hurt or something, so Triplet got the opportunity to start on opening day. Sweet. And, and I'm he, assuming he does well based on the preface <laughs> of yes, this story. Yes. And the young prospect <laughs> did not disappoint. No. The Cubs opened their 1938 campaign on the road in Cincinnati April 19th. The Reds sent Gene Schott to the mound in the season Kickstarter against the young Cubbies. Charlie Graham constructed his lineup that day, placing the rookie Gardner sixth on his lineup card that also featured a man known as Ripper Collins. Okay. But on that opening day, you could consider him Ripper Triplet as he opened his major league career going three for five with two doubles, one run scored, and an RBI. It was a back-and-forth affair with the Cubs topping their division rival eight to seven. Who were they playing? The, the Reds. Oh, the Reds. Yeah. Okay. Cubs you, are playing the Reds. I thought you said Red Sox for a second. No, no, no. That doesn't make no, sense. Maybe I did. You're crazy. Anyway, it's, uh, it's the Reds. It's the Reds, everybody. All right. Clarify. They so, were once called the Red Stockings. He's not wrong. <laughs> Splitting hairs here. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Anyway, carrying on. So with such a stellar debut, it was natural that Coker would remain in the alignment up for Game Two on April 20th, 4:20 blaze it, and yeah. he would eclipse his performance in the first game. Coker once again sat sixth in the lineup and swung comfortably all day, going four for five this time, with a triple, three runs scored, and another RBI to his credit, helping to power the Cubs to a 10-4 drubbing of the Red Stockings. The, the, yeah, the Reds. Just the Reds. It's just the Reds. It is. The April 21st edition of the Decatur Herald and Review sang his praises, quote, If Coker Triplett, the rookie outfielder from the Southern League, keeps his batting work, Augie Gallen may spend most of his season on the bench. Triplett has cracked out seven hits and ten official trips to the plate in the first two games, which is mighty good batting in any league. Triplett is supposed to be a slow starter, never getting his real stride until the weather warms up, but he has given little indication of such tendencies this spring. Triplett and Rip Collins, who were regarded as bench warmers when the National League campaign opened, may be hard to edge out if the lineup they continue may, may be hard to edge out of the lineup if they continue their present pace. I love that back in the 30s it was still like the same thing a guy could have like two great games and they're like well 
That guy's fucked. He's never playing again because yeah, this guy. We might as well sell Augie Gallon down the river. He's Does anyone a, buy him a train ticket? Seven hundred. <laughs> well, I love the Davis Schneider thing because remember after Davis Schneider's first two games, all this they batted him third in like a dog's breakfast lineup on like the Sunday after they already won the series. Yes. And everyone was like, "Oh, he's gonna bat third from now on." And it's like, no, he's not. No, he's, he's not. not. He's absolutely not. A dog's breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the game later that day, April 21st, the, the pace would continue for Coker as he went 2-4 for four in a 6-2 loss. Coker had accomplished the best three-game debut since the birth of the American League in 1901, going collectively 9-14 for 14 with two doubles, a triple, four runs scored, and two RBI in his first series in the bigs, a mark, as I mentioned, off the top that would go unmatched for another 85 years. Three weeks ago, Until people. Three weeks ago, everybody. And I was inspired to write this story. <laughs> News of the Cubs' rookie debut spread far and wide across the country. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle covered the story April 24th, 1938, when James J. Murphy wrote, quote, While it is rather early to make predictions with the National League pennant race still in its swaddling clothes stage... Love it. <laughs> Nevertheless, outfielder Herman Coker trip triplet of the Chicago Cubs shapes up as one of the outstanding rookie finds this season. It remains to be seen whether the stout-thumping juvenile can maintain the pace that he has been setting thus far. The smart old heads of the mound haven't had ample time to go to work on the timely bludgeon wielder to detect flaws in his armament. Okay. It's a long way of saying, uh, you know, pitchers, pitchers having, are having a hard time figuring this guy out, but <laughs> yeah. they, they're working on it. Yeah. If he has any such weaknesses, it goes without saying that they will be discovered ere long. <laughs> One trip around the circuit will divulge whether he is the goods or not. Okay. So they're like, yeah, what? this is chill. The <laughs> yeah. pitchers are working on it. Yeah. <laughs> they had a meeting last night. <laughs> the old heads are putting their heads together. Figure out how to get this guy out. Yeah. So unfortunately for Coker, the old smart heads of the mound were able to figure out some flaws in his armament, and he did not collect a single base, let alone a hit, in his next nine appearances. Wow. And by the next month, Coker was sent to finish the year with the Minneapolis Millers of the AA American Association. Getting into 105 games with the Millers, Triplett would go 105 for 366 in 401 plate appearances with 16 doubles, 7 triples, and 10 home runs, scoring 70 times and cashing in 54 RBI. Good for a 287 average and a 344 on base percentage and a 795 OPS. Yeah, his amount of home runs versus doubles there leads me to believe he was playing in a small diamond. Yes. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why, but I was like, <laughs> why so few doubles and then why so many homers for this guy? Like, I was, don't know where the Millers played. I know. I feel like it... I've, yeah, you uh, have I all don't the, know for you sure. You have all the stadium I, books. Yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa. I feel like a, it might be a small stadium. Anyway, yeah. it's irrelevant. That December, his contract was purchased by the Cardinals and he was assigned to the Columbus Redbirds in the American Association where he toiled in the minors for two seasons, getting into 116 and 120 games in 1939 and 40, batting 322 and 339, respectively. But he never got a true shot at the majors again until major league talent was thin by those who were fighting fit, enlisting in the war efforts of World War II. So he, he, he keeps playing down in the South and then... The talent thins out and he gets a little another shot. Yeah, he gets a couple years up there. So in 41, he got into 76 games, batting 286 for the Cardinals, 
The Cardinals won the World Series that year. Oh, and Coker Triplett got his only ring. Nice. Despite not playing in the series. Yeah, well. But, you know. You know yeah, still got some jewelry. Yeah. You know, late uh, September that year, the Cards called up a young rookie named Stan Musial, who patrolled center field for 140 games the next season. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. In 42, Coker got into 64 games, respectively. That's not bad. You know? Yeah, he's a fourth outfielder. Yeah. Uh, he batted 273, and in 43, Coker played nine games for the Cards and got off to a terribly slow start, batting just 080. Well, he played nine games. Well, yeah, he was, I don't know. I mean, still. Still, is, yeah, it's not great. It's not very promising. Anyway, the St. Louis Brass dealt him along with Buster Adams and Dane Clay to the Phillies for Dan Litweiler and Earl Naylor. He recovered his average slightly in Philadelphia, finishing the year... 260, but it was obvious that Triplett was regressing against Major League talent, even if it was thinner at the time. In 1944 and 45, he got into 84 and 120 games for the Phils and hit 234 and 240, respectively. In a six-season Major League career, Triplett was a 256 hitter with 27 home runs and 173 RBI in 470 games. He scored 148 runs hit 47 doubles, 14 triples, stole 10 bases, and had an on-base percentage of 320. Defensively, he had a 965 fielding percentage. Okay. That's kind of okay. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. He's in the outfield, though. Yeah. (laughs) Coker's days as a major leaguer wound down, and his contract was purchased by the Buffalo Bisons on April 18, 1946. Everyone ends up in Buffalo (laughs) eventually, people. The Buffalo Hall of Fame is the biggest Hall of Fame. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. He would spend five more seasons in professional ball with the Bisons, resurrecting his hitting numbers against the AAA competition of the International League. His averages for the last five years of his career were 303, 315, 353, 322, and 337. Well, I mean, this is good, good, good Very stuff. Good. Yeah. Coker retired after the 1950 season taking a turn as Bison's manager briefly at the end of the 51 season and took one more kick at the can in 1952 when he was named player coach, getting into 24 games up here in Canada with the Ottawa A's. Oh, cool. Yeah. Unfortunately for Ottawa fans and for Coker, he could only manage a 172 average. The Ottawa Journal reported on June 13, 1952, that Coker was to be placed on the injured list with a bad right arm. And with that, Coker Triplett's playing days were done. He was given his final release by Ottawa in early 1953. Right, I mean, I guess they got to find a new manager. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, he's like, like ah, well, you're not a very good coach. He's either, talking to himself. He's like, I'm sorry, son. They told me we got to let you go. I know yeah. you've been in this game for 20 years, but. <laughs> oh, what do you uh, mean, what coach? What do you mean, coach? <laughs> My arm's good. Look, son, you can't even lift it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing that with your left you're arm. You're doing that yourself. It's not your... No, I don't care how you, many fingers you can... What? I don't... Come on, Coker, let's get you to bed. Let's go to bed. <laughs> so, Coker and his wife moved to Charlotte, but later in life returned to his home city of Boone for the rest of his days. They had at least one child, a son named King, who became class president at Appalachian State. Became the king of Appalachian State. <laughs> the king. <laughs> Uh, in that, uh, before I move on, actually, just it's it's odd. I'm surprised I wasn't able to find more of like his family stuff because yeah. like I don't know if you've used any of the newspaper.com 
resources at all. No, I'm inept within technology. When when you get into, when you find some of these newspapers, there's just sections where they just like tell everybody's business. (laughs) (laughs) So there'd be like an article. It'd be like, Sean DeCoria went to visit his aunt in freaking Detroit this weekend or something. They had chicken wings. He was not impressed with the seasoning. (laughs) He prefers more of a dry rub. (laughs) <laughs> so, in 1976, Coker was inducted into the Appalachian State Hall of Fame. He is also a member of the Buffalo Baseball Hall of Fame and the Watauga Sports Hall of Fame. In 2010, the International League Hall of Fame inducted him into their ranks posthumously as Triplett died in Boone January 30th, 1992, at the age of 80. So that there, Sean, is the story of a flash-in-the-pan prospect. Yeah. Another flash in the pan prospect. Love it. 85 years ago, who cemented their name into baseball history books with one explosive week amidst a relatively lackluster major league career. And how is, as I say, his record remained unmatched for 85 years. But that's what we do on this podcast. We tell stories of people that had one great weekend. Yeah. You know? In 85 years, they'll be uh, like, uh, uh, whatever, like, yeah. Jimmy and fucking Stu's doing baseball, <laughs> talking about David Schneider. I'm sure that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it won't either, but uh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, that's so cool that you did all that research and uh, found out all that. Uh, triplet. Like, I, I was waiting. You didn't. Do you know if he had brothers or sisters? Actually, funny you ask. He yeah. did have a uh, brother okay. whose name was Hooper, I believe. <laughs> I think his name was Hooper, if my memory serves me correctly. Correctly, and I don't quote me on what the actual crime was. What? But he committed a crime at some point. He was a baseball prospect, but then committed a crime. So well, fuck. maybe that'll be a story someday. I want to hear about Hooper Triplet next week. <laughs> Two weeks, whatever. I don't care. Uh, well, thanks, Edzie. Uh That was awesome. Uh, thank you so much. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Give us. Uh, story ideas. You can find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Doing Baseball. I'm at Sean Do Baseball and on I, the X Twitter thing, and I'm at Ed's Do Baseball on the X Twitter thing. Yeah, go out there, uh, buy yourself some beer. Two Loons Brewing. Uh, fucking their lager, their IPA. They got one for each of us now, Edzy. It's fantastic. I can't wait. It's fantastic. Uh, and until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were bringing you the baseball history. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.